and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer at the disability sporting charity Level Playing Field. It is that time of year again. Level Playing Field's weeks of action is fast approaching. The campaign kicks off on the 26th of February until the 13th of March. Disabled sports fans, sports clubs, disabled supporters associations and other partners across England and Wales will be coming together to celebrate disability access and inclusion as well as the immense power that attending live sport can have on a person's well-being. Now that fans are back in the stadiums cheering on their teams or booing a stray pass, Level Playing Field wants to make sure that we celebrate the fact that all fans, no matter their disability, has the opportunity to do just that. Live sport provides community, energy, choice and a sense of unity and that is why Level Playing Field Weeks of Action is as vital as ever to highlight the importance of live sport with fans after many, many months away. For the next few weeks, we will be releasing multiple podcast episodes to showcase the work that clubs are doing across England and Wales. And to kick us off, we have the EFL's Head of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, David Mercado. Good morning, David. How are you? Very good, Liam. Thanks very much. Good, good, good. For the listeners, it's Friday morning. It's just gone 9am. So we'll start with the hard hitting questions, I suppose. I mean, is it milk, then water or, or water, then milk when making tea or coffee? To be totally honest, I don't drink coffee. I'm not a hot drink fan, so I don't really drink tea and I don't drink coffee either. So so not even like a hot chocolate or anything like no hot beverages? Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a hot chocolate now and then, but really it's not. I, I would never do it in the morning. Uh, but when I make my, my wife's coffee, it's it's water then milk. <laughs> Did you just turn to the left in case your wife was then like going to call you out? <laughs> She's probably looking for me to make her a cup of coffee now that I've. I've mentioned that. <laughs> so before we start talking about uh, Level Playing Field's Weeks of Action, I think it would be good to, for the people uh, listening to know a little bit about yourself because you're relatively new to the EFL Head of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, so let's start by finding out the bigger point really in the coffee. I mean, where's your football allegiances, allegiances lie? Uh, who, who's your football team? Yeah, well, obviously, before I came to the EFL, I'd spent 15 years with the Scottish Football Association. So that's where I'm, where I'm from, I'm from Scotland and worked on a number of different EDI roles from, from girls and women to youth. Spent a lot of time uh, within para football, with disability football, uh, and, and obviously more in the kind of EDI section, uh, kind of later in my time in the Scottish FA. But in terms of allegiances, it's it's my hometown team, which is St Mirren uh, from Paisley, uh, is my kind of team. And then obviously uh, a big part of my, my working life and, and my life in general is based around Scotland national team and, and following following the team, uh, both men's and women's, uh, obviously the last few years has been really exciting with, with World Cups and European Championships for the women and, and for the men with the, the 2021 European Championships has, has been fantastic. Kind of touched a little bit there on, on your past work because you, your back, your background is within disability inclusion in the past. So what what exactly were you, were you getting up to with the uh, Scottish um, association. Yeah, well, a big part of my role when I was I was part of football manager was trying to raise the profile of of disability football. At that point, when I, I started that role, just before the, the Paralympics in 2012, it was all about disability football. How can we get more people playing it? How can we raise the profile of of people actually playing the game and trying to move away from this factor that well, oh, this is a nice thing to do. People playing disability football was nice. Oh, look at that! It's, it's look at people overcoming these challenges and actually moving it to its, you know, its mainstream 
it's mainstream competition, it's mainstream opportunities. You should be doing this because not it's a nice thing to do, but if you class yourself as a community club, then you need to provide for all the community, and that includes people living with a disability. And that moved on from, from producing strategies, which really brought the game together, because anybody who, who understands the playing of disability football, there's about eight or nine different disciplines. Each disability has its own discipline, whether it's cerebral palsy, plays different rules to a learning disability, who plays different rules to amputee, to power chair. So it was really how can we bring the game together to work off the same the same hymn sheet in some way. And that really moved forward where we, we actually changed the terminology and we were one of the first countries in Europe to, to move to the para-football kind of concept because a lot of the time people who played football felt disability was a negative connotation. It was disadvantaged of your ability. So we wanted to move away from that and, and move to para-football and, and really class it as parallel football. So it was there as a support mechanism. So it was there for when people needed it but it sat parallel to the mainstream game. So players, if they if they were able to do so, they moved into the mainstream elements of football, but para-football was there for when the game gets too much or too quick, they can drop into our sport. Uh, and really what we ended up doing is is we, we really tried to be groundbreakers where we created a, a, an organisation called Scottish Para-Football, which was the world's first affiliated national football association dedicated to, to para-football. So it basically sat on the Scottish FA's uh, boards uh, and, and kind of, if you look at women's football, men's football, amateur football, uh, youth football, it sat alongside them and had its own association, its own charity, which had a vote on Scottish football, uh, which was the first time that, that people with a disability had a voice around the big table uh, and certainly was one that, that's been recognised around Europe as being best practice. And I've, I've kind of worked with a number of European associations to try and replicate that model. So again, power chair football would sit alongside cerebral palsy, would sit alongside autism, would sit alongside all the others and really work collaboratively, not against each other, to try and find funding, to try and support players and ultimately to make the environment better and take the pressure off the volunteers who do so much within the game. So let's talk about Level Playing Field's Weeks of Action. For people who don't know, it's a two-week celebration of uh, disability access and inclusion within life sport, uh, starting on February the 26th, uh, running until March the 13th. It's an opportunity uh, for sporting clubs to really showcase the work that they do to provide a match day experience for disabled people. The EFL have supported the campaign for many years, and this has grown in recent years. Why has it been important for the EFL to support the Weeks of Action campaign over these years? Very simply, football's a game for all. Football should be enjoyed and loved by all, uh, no matter uh, what background you come from, no matter the challenges you face. It's one of these sports that just brings people together. Weeks of action is a fantastic opportunity for us to celebrate that, to raise awareness of, of people with a disability and their love of the game and, and how much it means to them and how much clubs can make very small changes that just adds to the experience, adds to the environment and makes it a greater spectacle for, for all within the game. And, and from that, it's, it's just vital for us to support level playing field to, to make sure that awareness raising and, and the clubs are aware of, of the, the contribution they can make to, to society. And to it's just incredible. Whenever A lot of people don't realise that, that people living with a disability, football can sometimes be their, one of their only social interactions that they have so this is more than just sitting down and coming to a game and being accessible for 90 minutes. It's sometimes a real 
lifelong opportunity for people to meet others with a disability, to have conversations with people like themselves who understand the challenges that they face, who understand the, the process that they go through, whether it be for, for social aspects or whether it be for medical aspects. It's, it brings together a community that, that sometimes they don't have access to. So uh, it's more than just the 90 minutes of a football game. It's more than just the, the Saturday at three o'clock. It, it means so much more and it has the opportunity to provide so much more. And, and that's what football should be there for. And, and I completely agree. Obviously, I'm going to. I mean, the pandemic was was rough on, on most people. And I think when fans were taken away from grounds, that that was, like you said, that was a lifeline that was taken away from some disabled supporters to be able to interact. So I suppose this year for us, we really want to celebrate the idea of fans returning to stadium. Everyone's back as a collective. And we want to get the, the 72 clubs uh, to celebrate this year's campaign as much as possible. So I suppose what are the fl doing to celebrate this year's campaign and why should clubs I'm, I'm from the nottingham area so i'm going to pull out mansfield be supporting this campaign well we want to just make sure clubs are again fully aware of it it's level playing field is a fantastic organization and and obviously the, the weeks of action did take a bit of a backseat during the pandemic and, and obviously didn't have the, the message that we wanted it to put forward of people attending matches and, and having that aspect. So we want clubs to then re-engage to make sure that they're remembering and thinking about every single member of, of their supporter base who will sit in the seats and will come to their games. So really we're pushing it as much as we can to our clubs. We're supporting it. We're raising awareness for it. Uh, we're doing activities during the Carabao Cup final, which is on the 27th of February, uh, which I can't say too much about at this moment in time. But then it, really what it does, we're trying to take that conversation on further. That let's not just think about how we get fans into the stadium. Let's think about what we provide to the fans once they're in the stadium to improve the environment, to improve the experience, to make sure that clubs are constantly are thinking about that section of the fan base to make sure that they provide the best possible experience for them when they come to that 90 minutes because the pandemic people with a, living with a disability are normally or a lot of the times are already isolated from society because of transport because of uh, accessibility because of opportunities because of, of access to, to a number of different things but to then be told to then receive a letter through the post and say you should not leave the house that I don't think any of us who are not disabled could really understand what that what that would have felt like and it wasn't just the fact that they couldn't do it, it was the fact that they were told they couldn't do it. And then with football, even when football came back and they were seeing fans start to enter the stadium, they were still told not to leave their house, that they were they were they were vulnerable. And that that was could should have would have been and, and can unimaginably be so difficult. So now that we are able to to welcome back all fans into the stadiums, we need to make sure that we make it the best experience of all. We make it we make the times that they sat in the house watching football games on the TV, watching fans going to the stadium, we make sure that we make that worth it to them. Because when they come back now, we come back with a greater environment, a greater experience and a greater love of the game that maybe some of us took for granted. And, and not to think that everybody has the same access to, to the stadiums that... that many do and that, that's really important for me that we try and spread that message as much as we can there's been progress towards accessibility i think it's fair to say a lot more can be done so that disabled fans can have the same experience as everyone else what can we all do within the football community not just the efl to do to improve the match day experience for disabled supporters just think actually have a little bit of emotional intelligence to think what others may be so if i'm walking in a crowd uh, for instance and, and we're walking towards a stadium don't try and think you have to be 
shoulder to shoulder with people. Don't think you have to be so close to somebody because a family who's maybe bringing an autistic child to the game for the first time might struggle with people overarching them. Somebody in a wheelchair may feel uncomfortable with people standing so high above them and, 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 and creating the personal space. So just have a think. Have a think of where you're sitting in the stadium. Are you in front of maybe a wheelchair uh, accessible entry system? Uh, are you going to the game and just, oh, I'm going to go to the toilet, I'm going to use the disabled toilet rather than go and wait on a two-second queue uh, to use to use the other toilets and then suddenly a, a person with a disability can, doesn't have access? It's, it's little things that I think we can all do and just think about each other rather than rather than ourselves and, and think about if we're, we're standing up or if we're constantly standing, what does that mean for somebody who's who's in a wheelchair who maybe can't see over you if, if in terms of, of where the seating uh, kind of arrangements are at the club. So really just have a have a thought for everybody and not just think about your part of the game. And I think during the pandemic, what if the pandemic had any benefits to it, we did start to think about each other a little bit more. We started to look at other people's situations and we want that to, to continue. We want people going to football grounds to, to think about what they can do to make the environment better for everybody uh, and, and just have a little bit of thought towards towards others, which is really vital for me. So a considerable part of the Weeks of Action campaign is celebrating some of the success stories related to accessibility over the last 12 months. In the short time that you've had your role as Head of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, have you heard of any good practices within the Football League that stood out to you? There's probably too many best practices and good things that clubs are doing. That It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal amount of, of effort that clubs take and clubs are getting better at it. You, you said that, right? Clubs are doing a lot more, but will never be finished. I think we need to realise that there's always more that we can do. Uh, as soon as we offer something, we should always be thinking about well, what's next, how can we make the environment better? Uh, if we offer a, a sensory room, for instance, uh, yeah, we've offered a room, we've offered a sensory room, we've got access to the pitch, but what else can we do? What else can we do in that room, for instance? Can we add Can we add more activities? Can we make it more comfortable for families? Can we do this? Can we do that? We should always be thinking of the what's next moment. So, yeah, great, we've now got... Uh, an accessible entrance for people uh, living in a wheel or having needing use of a wheelchair, but can we make sure that ramp access is a bit uh, not as firm a gradient or is a bit smoother or uh, is has got maybe car parking closer to it? All these type of things we should always be thinking about what's next. So even though our clubs are doing so much and are doing so much fantastic work and and we've made accessibility so much better in the past ten years from what it used to be, we always should be thinking well what else can we do? And a big part of that is consultation. And what our clubs probably need to do better at is talk to our disabled fans, have disability access officers who are known, who are then contactable, who are making consultation events with fans to see, well, what do you want? What what do you, what would make this environment better for you? Because let's be brutally honest, unless you are disabled, you do not fully understand the accessibility challenges that, that people face. We can't, we can't put ourselves in wheelchairs and, 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 and try and access the stadium because again it wouldn't be the same we don't have the same skill set to be able to to manoeuvre a wheelchair in that way so we need to really understand what what they want and what the challenges that they see on a daily basis not just for what our perception is Do you think football has an issue promoting disability uh, uh, particularly the, the things that they're doing well? I think in this country we have a, a real issue of actually just saying that we're doing things well I think we I, I don't think we like to put ourselves out there I don't think we like to 
promote ourselves of being best practice because I think there's the worry that we'll be shot down. That and that's that's one of the challenges we face with inequality, diversity and inclusion is there's always the, there's always something better we can do, even though we're doing something really well. The, the, the conversation would have would have been progressed. So I think what we need to do is inspire our clubs to dis, to discuss their journey, to to say where they are, where they came from, and where they want to be. I think that's really important. And but what we need to realise is not every we, we can't expect that every fan knows how to access information. It's it's not every fan's going to think, oh, I want to go onto the website and find out what the disability access officer is. I want to, um, I want I. I think football is open to me. Not all disabled potential supporters think that football is open to them because they don't realise all the things that's happened. So we need to talk about it. We need to demonstrate it. We need to put things on social media, put things in, in, new, in the news, put things in the local community because that may then inspire a disabled supporter to then want to come to the game. Now you've, for instance, a lot of families who've maybe got an autistic child would automatically think football's not open to me. It's... 20,000 people in a stadium, that's too many. It's too many noises, it's too many smells, it's too many kind of interactions. My child might not be able to cope with that. But if the club actually promoted in the community that they have a sensory room or they have sensory spaces or they have kind of, of access to that, that family might then go, that football club's actually an opportunity for us. We can go on a Saturday, we can go as a family, knowing that we are going to be looked after and catered for and thought of. That's that's something that we need to get better at. Not just think that people know what we do on a on a Saturday or on, on a Wednesday night. It, it, it's not the case. So we need to actually get a bit better of of promoting ourselves, sharing the best practice, and then being willing to listen when people say that's great what you're doing here, but could you have not done X, Y, or Z? And listen to that, and then look to that as the future planning. So the EFL have possibly one of the most exciting leagues in the world, and that's the championship. I mean, it is one of the top five attended leagues. Also, Holmes, one of the greatest football teams of all time in Nottingham Forest. In, in what way, <laughs> don't laugh, in what way can the, uh, the, the EFL set a strong example to the rest of the world around the importance of disability access using the league? And can weeks of action play a part in that? I think what the beauty of the EFL is, is our size. We've got 72 unique clubs, some ranging from Nottingham Forest with rich history of European championships all the way down to, to Forest Green, who are fairly new to the league and, and, and kind of are new onto the, onto the league journey. So I think what we've got is we can show clubs of what you can do really at the top end when, when clubs have finance and have space and have larger stadiums, all the way down to when clubs are really run by volunteers. And I think between the over the 1,800 matches that the EFL puts on per season, the 18 million fans who enter the stadiums per season, we, we've got an opportunity to be best in class. Not just best in class when we talk about 50,000-seater stadiums where money's not really an issue, but all the way down to how we can do things on a tight budget, on, on a kind of old stadium and a, a kind of in a, right in the heart of a community, how things can be done easily how things can be done without having to spend a lot of money on to make the accessibility there and and because we are in every community in, in England and, and, and throughout into Wales we have that opportunity to really use our voice to be best in class to really showcase what can be done how it can be done and the benefit of doing it and, and that's really one of the things that the EFL has more than any country any league in the world is we have 72 fantastic clubs who all offer unique 
opportunities across the game. In 2019, EFL supporter survey showed that 35% of supporters attending football in the EFL are 55 years or older. Um, 14% were over the age of 65. According to Scope, nearly 50% of retirement age adults have a disability of some kind. So the retirement age in England and Wales is 66 for people who don't know. With people living longer, is there a potential issue where stadiums won't be accessible for the ever-changing elderly elder generation? Is that something that we probably need to focus on now so in the future everyone can continue watching football because there's going to be essentially more disabled people going to watch live football yeah of course we we challenge our clubs to be reflective and representative of the communities in which they serve so they need to understand the changing landscape and i mean you look at it obviously we've got the new census coming out in in a few months but when you look at the, the scope of the demographic of the uk over 65 is one of our highest population demographics so we need to consider over 65 just in general uh, and obviously as we start to see and, and the world changes is that is that well, as you said half of, of retirement age have some form of disability now that's a vast range of of conditions we shouldn't just think of this as being somebody who requires the use of a wheelchair so we need to think about what we can do in the stadium yes we're probably going to need to try and increase the number of wheelchair accessibility uh, sections we have think about the uh, the disabled uh kind of parking spaces that we have around the stadium, have a bit more awareness of that and really start to consider all the different elements that we we take. But yeah, we need to look at the trends. We need to understand the trends of what we have and and then cater for the fans appropriately because if we don't, then they're not going to come to the games. So we need to understand that this isn't just a nice thing to do. This actually has a business element to it as well. And and the fact that if we don't do it, we're going to lose people coming to the stadiums, which then obviously affects the revenue of each of our clubs. People listening, the Weeks of Action campaign starts on the 26th of February and will continue to March the 13th. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, what the clubs within the EFL do to celebrate uh, their facilities. And um, hopefully we, we get more disabled people attending live sport because of this campaign. And like you said, it's a great way to kind of showcase what, what, we, do, what, we, what we do in football, but it's also about that kind of legacy and, and, and continue working throughout the year to make sure that more disabled people people uh, attend live sport david thank you for giving up your morning and talking to me it's uh, it's been good thanks very much for having me liam and i better go and make that a cup of coffee for my wife now. <laughs> all the best mate thank you very much thank you very much liam Thank you to David for taking the time to talk to me. If you would like to know more about the Level Playing Field Weeks of Action campaign and how you can actively get involved, please click the link in this episode description or head on over to levelplayingfield.org.uk. If you are already actively getting involved in this year's campaign and you're publicising it on social media, don't forget to tag in Level Playing Field and use the hashtag for disabled fans make sure you keep checking the podcast stream because we will be releasing additional content that's it for this week bye bye